0: morning, Grace Point. It's great to see all you here this morning on this first Sunday of Advent, and welcome to all of you joining us online. I pray that God moves miraculously in your households as well as here in our midst this morning. Um, this series that we're going to embark upon now for the next several weeks is just simply entitled Miraculous. And what we want to do is talk to you on the divine, wonder-working side of the Christmas story. And I pray that it really touches your heart uh, anew. I love having grandkids, personally, they're just a lot easier than kids are. Um, this last summer, Vicky and I were going up to the lake and we swung through Fargo and we picked up a couple of uh, our, our grandsons in Fargo and took them to the lake with us earlier than their parents were going to get there. And uh, the, the littlest one is named Ezra, he was six at the time. and. Um, we, he had a really good day, you know. You can, if we're at the lake in northern Minnesota. You should have a good day, man. So he's having this great day, and he's just enjoying the moment. He's just getting into it all, and then at the end of the day, my, my uh, daughter Liz, who was up there with some of her kids, uh, read them all from the Bible, and he just he just loved that, and he shared this with both his grandma and me. He said, "This was the best day ever." And which makes your heart sing, right? He said, I got to do all this stuff, and then I got to hear about God at the end of the day. And he was just so passionate and so uh, full of life and so excited about it. And I think sometimes we need that fresh passion in our lives, don't we? Just to hear from some new eyes and to to hear the excitement that's surrounding the things of God. We can become so familiar with like the Christmas story that we read right through the miraculous. And so today I want to encourage you let it rip a little bit. Let this just a t- touch your heart. Uh, maybe ask for God to give you fresh eyes as you go into this Advent season to have this uh, uh, experience with God that's, that's new and fresh and deep because and, he's a wonder-working God. I remember... Um, a note I got from a professor when I went to Indiana Western University. He would do that. He, I, I was doing distance learning. And so he would write and fill up the margins of my, my, my pay, papers with just thoughts. And this one thought has always stuck with me for the last uh, 30 years or so since I did that uh, experience. Um, he said, and he, you know, I have a mechanical engineering degree. You all know that, right? Most of you do. And so he, and he knew that. And so he said to me, Steve, it's okay to be bored with physics which I don't think is boring, or, or, mathemat- or, or mathematics. He said, you can be bored with that, and you can even teach it in a boring way. But then he went on to say this, never, ever become bored with the word of the Lord, and never, ever present it in a boring way. He said, because it's anything but boring, and we make it short of what it's intended to be when it becomes uh, boring. So he goes on to say, it's okay to be bored with physics and math, I guess but not with the, with the Word of God. I remember going to a, f- a funeral of a friend in Williston, and it was at another church, and I had gotten to know him um, pretty well, and so I went to this funeral, and the pastor spoke in this monotone voice. No emotion, no nothing, just... You know, kind of like the Charlie Brown parents. Blah, 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 blah. And I, I remember how offended I was, personally, because... This was a friend, and I thought, celebrate his life, show a little passion here, show a little giddy up and go, right? And and and, and uh, not to sound too critical, but her her her. Well, now I've revealed what I forget I said that. Anyway, um, anyway, this pastor's message reminded me of Agnes's. Uh, uh, Recitation and, and Despicable Me Too. You know, this is where I go when I want to get deep. Despicable Me Too. But Angus is practicing her Mother's Day presentation to, to crew. And, and, you know, it's really monotone, right? And she gets done, hey, we love you, mothers everywhere. And I remember her going, well, we need to work on presentation just a little bit here. Um, you know, we don't have to put on a show uh, when it comes to being a Jesus follower, but we should do some passion to our faith, right? Are you with me on this? There should be some fire that burns in our belly that it's hard to contain. We should have some giddy up and go to use a Western analogy. You know, we should just be uh, uh, passionately following Christ. I mean, Peter preaches to, 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 on that, you know, Pentecost, after Pentecost, he preaches, and 3,000 are saved, and the church is born. It's super exciting, and God was adding to their number daily, those who he, he had ordained to be saved, and then, then, you know, Peter's walking along, and the, the, the man crippled from birth, sit, you know, begs him for some money, and Peter says, silver and gold, have I none, but such as I give you, uh, I, such as I have I give to you, in the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. Well, the dude didn't just stand up and walk, he stood up walking and jumping and praising God. There was some passion uh, at what God had done in this life. And so what I pray as we go through this next several weeks of Advent is that you see Christmas with some fresh eyes. And there's some praise that breaks forth in your heart that you can't contain because God's interaction is so divine. And this story of Christ's birth is so miraculous. And um, Jesus, though fully human, we know it's fully God, and everything about him is divine from the get-go uh, until the end of his days on earth, and it's still continuing on into our time. And the Lord, knowing our propensity, you know, um, towards unbelief, gave us a lot of proofs to validate our faith. And sometimes in a season like this, we get into a whole bunch of proofs. I'm not going to do any of that. Some of you are going, oh, yeah, hooray, don't do that. We, we, today I'm going to ask you, friends in Christ, would you just believe it? And would you just receive it? And would you allow God's words, his ways, his truth to just change your life? Just receive it and let it change your life and how you do, do life. Would you just get to that point because it's such a divine, miraculous thing that I'm going to talk with you about today. It should have an impact on us. We need to believe it, we need to receive it, and we need to order our life differently because of it. So I'm going to start with John, the relative of Jesus. I love to read. Anybody love to read in here? Yeah, I still like to read paper books. I don't know if it's just an age thing or what. I, I love the feel of it, and, and all, e- it's easy on the eyes. But I've noticed this about books, whether they be fiction or nonfiction, and I read both a lot. They usually begin with some kind of prologue, amen? There's some kind of introduction. There's some kind of thought process there. They're trying to get you to engage in what lies ahead. They're trying to get, get you interested in reading the rest of the book. So frequently at the beginning of a, a, a good fiction book, you'll have a prologue kind of talking about what happens to try to get you engaged and wanting to read the book. And then then the nonfiction authors use this uh, technique quite frequently. Well, you know what? When I look at John the Baptist, he came as a prologue to the story of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's like he's supposed to tantalize your sentence and get you interested in the story of Jesus Christ. And his life is one of divinity. God interacted miraculously all over the place in the life of this guy. And he was a forerunner of Christ. And his story, his prologue to to Christ is so indicative, so illustrative of what Jesus would be about, how divine he would be, and how God would work miraculously uh, through the Lord Jesus Christ. So I call John a divine prologue. His is a story that sets up the story of Christ. So John's story foreshadows the divine divine nature of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, frequently what's emphasized when you look at John the Baptist and his conception is the the unbelief of Zechariah, which I don't like that 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 becomes the focus, that Zechariah should have believed, and then somebody will say, you should believe too. I'm not going to do that at all. We hear that enough, right? What I want to do is talk about how miraculous his birth was and how it's illustrative for you and I of, of this miracle, wonderworking God and how it should change our approach a bit to God here. So we're going to do this with several characters. So we're going to begin with John. So listen to Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 17. Hear, hear the story of John here. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. So they have heritage here. They have lineage, right? They're not just normal people. They've got this priestly kind of lineage going on here. Now hear this. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. So what, 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 what we're being set up here, and Luke is to understand, these are godly folk, amen? They're following God with all their heart, and, and, and they're noted as being righteous and all that. But, now here's a but. They were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. So this would be a big shaming point in that culture. People would probably say, what are you doing wrong? What kind of secret sin is going on that you're not able to conceive? And there would be some judgment thrown their way and some shame that they would be uh, having to absorb. But did you hear what God said about them? They were righteous. They were blameless. They had the lineage but they weren't able to conceive. Sometimes God allows things in their life just because he wants to work a miracle, right? Sometimes that's the way it works. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Did you know they used to tie a rope around the priests who were chosen by Lot to go in to to serve before the Lord? Because if they died, they had to have a way to pull them out. Just some perspective here. So he's chosen by Lot to go in before the Lord and burn incense, and everyone's praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear your son and you are to call him John. So, so the guy's old, but he's still praying for a son. He's still, he's been praying his whole life for, for this to happen, it sounds like. And your prayers have been answered. So John's ministry, John's conception, John's birth, his whole life is an amazing uh, prologue to the ministry of Jesus Christ. In fact, it's, it, it, it's, it's got so much implication. I, I just want to point out a few of the linkages for you here so that you get them this morning, okay? How, how his ministry was reflective of the ministry to come in the Lord Jesus Christ. So God came into a hopeless situation and brought life. So God came to this old couple who were barren And what did he bring into that situation? A baby. He brought life. He brought hope. Because they were hopeless. They were old. You don't have kids when you're old. Some of us will say, thank God, too. uh, Anyway, I'm sorry. I can't help but think that way somehow. I can't imagine having a child now. But anyway, um, uh, in that culture, like I said, they would have experienced shame and a little bit of finger pointing and judgment because of their situation, and God miraculously intervenes, and they have a miracle baby. Now listen, the world is so full of hopelessness. Do we understand that? Sometimes when we become a Christ follower, we forget how hopeless the world is without Jesus Christ, how much shame there is in culture, how much sin is in, in culture. We forget all that dynamic, and into the middle of all that, Jesus Christ comes, to be the Savior of the world, to grace people with the ability to become adopted as sons and daughters of the living God, if we will believe on him and receive him. Amen? You have to do that. We're going to get to this more as this message unfolds. And we're told John would be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. And what, what I think God is saying here to us, that we've got to understand this, you don't do this on your own. God anoints your life with power and presence by the person of the Holy Spirit. And he's saying in the prologue story to Jesus Christ that the Holy Spirit would be an integral part of the transformation process of people. And John would be anointed with the person of the Holy Spirit so that it wasn't just human endeavor that was taking place here. Rather, it was God anointing and God power that was taking place here that was on demonstration. And man, is that indicative of Jesus Christ. We know that Jesus, when he was baptized, the Holy Spirit came on him and you had this marvelous interaction between uh, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and it's all really Trinitarian when, he's, when he was baptized by, by John the Baptist. We know all that was really cool. And, and then we know this, that Jesus promised when he went up to the Father, when he was resurrected, he said, it's good that I go to the Father. Why? So that you're not left as an orphan. So you're not left trying to do this thing called Christianity on your own, but rather I will send a helper, a Holy Spirit will live right inside my people and he will empower and anoint your life. And John's prologue demonstrates that. John wasn't an ordinary guy. He was filled with the person of the Holy Spirit. That's why his ministry was so effective. Um, And then John would bring many to the Lord. I I love this scripture where Luke says, John would turn the hearts of the parents to their children. And he would turn the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. What was John's ministry about? What was John's ministry about? The heart. What's Jesus' ministry about? What does he want? He wants your heart. Amen? He doesn't want your obligation. He doesn't want your duty. He doesn't want, oh, we better go to church or I feel guilty about it. He wants your heart. Right? Nothing less will do. He wants your devotion. He wants your heart. He wants your love. He wants you to follow him recklessly. He wants you to abandon everything else and he wants you to be consumed with him. He wants your heart. And John's Prologue is illustrative of this. He got my heart when I was 13. I've never been the same. He so drastically changed me. Christmas, by the way, isn't so much about finding a new nugget of truth someplace in Scripture as an opportunity to annually turn our hearts in devotion to Jesus Christ, Messiah come. We can give our hearts to him anew. John, the forerunner, the announcer of Jesus, is just so illustrative of the ministry of Christ. His conception is divine. His life is anointed with the power of the personal Holy Spirit. He affects all those around him for the glory of God. Isn't that Christ? That's what Christ did. I always think of the Bible this way. It's one big story. It's just in my mind all the time now. All these sub-stories and all these things we learn show us Christ if we're, if we're looking for it. And John is no exception to that. Now we're going to turn from John to another key person in the story of the birth of Jesus, the stepfather Joseph. Because he wasn't his earthly father. He was his stepfather, right? And so I think that's an important distinction. And from him, we're going to learn this uh, this important thing. to have sensitivity to a divine interruption. So if you're taking notes, that's number two, a divine interruption. See, Joseph is an example of the importance of receptivity to a divine interruption. So I wonder in my own life, and I can't help uh, wonder at large with people, if we don't miss the divine of God frequently because we're not interruptible, We're so busy doing our own thing. We're so busy with our own plans, our own careers, our own lives, our own marriages, whatever, you know. We're so busy, busy, busy that we can't hear the voice of God. And we're not very interruptible. As I read about Joseph and the divine interruption that he experienced, I marvel at him. I think as I read his account here, I want two things to be percolating in your mind, okay? Two things. One, marvel at how he changed his whole life plans because of this divine interruption. He changed everything that he was about. Two, ask yourself, am I interruptible this way? When I hear, when I hear God's voice, am I willing to change my plans accordingly as to as what he's up to in my life? So listen to Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Listen to this scripture. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had a mind to divorce her quietly, which you could do in the betrothal period in Jewish culture. If you found that the one you were betrothed to was unfaithful, you could divorce them quietly because they had not yet consummated the marriage, okay? But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. So this is an amazing story. Joseph believed the angel's revelation that the child who was conceived in Mary was from the Holy Spirit, and he believed it because of a dream. Do you know how much faith that took? He had a dream. Did any of you ever dream? Do you set your life course actions based on a dream? I remember years ago going to uh, one of the sushi places in town and eating a bunch of sushi, and that night I had dreams. I have never had that colorful, vivid dreams in my life. I'm just dreaming like crazy. You know what I attributed it to? The sushi. Right? I mean, I could see Joseph saying, man, those were some lamb chops last night. Woo! I really had some really strange dreams here. But he believed and received these dreams. Lots of faith going on here. This is a real statement of faith. And most likely that dream was very impactful, but still... Don't minimize the amount of faith it took for him to receive that dream as a word from God, because he had a plan. The baby's not mine. I'm going to divorce her quietly. I can do that according to the law. But he was also very kind. He didn't want to put her to public disgrace. And we can see a little bit of the character quality of Joseph. He didn't want to disgrace her, so he decided to do it quietly, quietly. But then God shows up in a dream and he throws all those plans out. And he adopts the plan of God. I'm going to marry her. I'm going to raise Jesus. You realize the life change that just took place here in this guy's life. He changed all of his plans and he adopted the plans of God for his life. Are you interruptible? Will you hear the voice of God when he speaks to you? Will you change your plans? I remember years ago, when I was working at 3M in Knoxville, um, I was doing a big piping project out behind the plant. I was I was engineering this and we had pipe fitters putting it all in. And just to give you a kind of a conception, the plant's about three times the size of the one here in town. So it's a big facility. So I'm way out in the back of the plant doing this work in, in Timbuktu Land kinda of we'd like to call it. And it gets to be five thirty and I'm exhausted. And you ever get to the end of the day when you just really you've been Thinking so hard all day long, your mind's just done, and you're just exhausted. I was at that stage. So I talked to the piping contractor. His name was Jim um, from Winger. And I said, hey, can I just jump in your truck and give me a ride up to the front of the plant when you're going so I don't have to walk the half a mile (laughs) or whatever? it take a while. You know what I'm saying? Because I just want to go home. I'm just exhausted. So I had a plan. I was going to get in this truck and just kind of lay my head back and just quit thinking. You ever been there? Some of you, you know, this comes easy to you, Right? comes easy to me. I'm just saying, I can do that. I can just, I'm done. I'm just going to kind of take a moment and vegetate and just let life go by me and not think about anything too hard. So I'm in that mode. So I sit down in that truck, and the, the strangest thing occurred to me. I sat down in that truck thinking, I'm just going to lay my head back and kind of close my eyes for a minute here. And it was, I, I, I'm really sure that God spoke to me. And He said to Jim, tell, He said to me, Tell Jim, Jesus is the answer. And I remember going, What? Tell Jim, Jesus is the answer. It was very specific. I don't get this a lot. I get it every now and then. I get something like that. And I thought, oh, man, I just want to rest. You ever been there? I just want to rest here. Seriously? He's going to think I'm crazy. So it just kept persisting. So I just looked at Jim. I said, Jim, I don't know where this is coming from. I think it's coming from God. And I think he just wants me to tell you, Jesus is the answer. That's all I said. And he kind of looked at me, and I explained a little bit, and I thought, he thinks I'm a nut. And I, I got to the front of the plan because it was only like a three-minute drive when, when you're in a truck. And as I'm getting out of the truck, he said to me, Steve, my sister called me and said exactly the same words yesterday. I said, what are you going through? And he said some hard things. I said, well, you know, Jesus is the answer. I'll have to at that. But God interrupted my plans. Are you interruptible is my question. Will you listen to the voice? I think he wants to do more divine things than we imagine if we're just interruptible. See, Joseph believed the prophecy that a virgin would conceive. This was a tremendous amount of faith on his part. To believe the prophecy that the virgin would conceive. He believed that God would do this. Saying, God, if he says it, it will take place. And his belief was, was something that changed his life and how he lived his life. And he took Mary as his wife and didn't consummate the marriage until after Christ was born. See, there's a benefit of receptivity to a divine interruption. Uh, Specifically for Joseph, think about it. He got to see the redemptive plan of God firsthand. He got to see Jesus. He got to see Jesus grow up in his household. Can you imagine that? How insightful. And life-changing that would be, because he was obedient, because he was receptive to God's divine interruption, he got to see the redemptive plan of God unfold in his household. That's quite amazing, isn't it? Jesus specializes in divine interruptions. Think about it. Disciples that he calls, lots of them are just fishing. And he comes up to them, hey, I'm going to make you fishers of men, leave, come follow me. And they did! They left their fishing trade, they left their father's trade, and they followed Christ, and they became fishers of men. I love the, the, the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. She goes to the well, she's going to get water, she's thirsty, you know, blah, 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 and all that kind of stuff, and she meets Christ there, and, he's, and he asks her for a drink, and she says, you being a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan, for a drink? He says, if you knew who was talking to you, you'd ask me for living water. And he goes on to explain who he is to the woman at the well. She went to get a drink of water, she goes away, born again, basically, drinking in the living water of Jesus Christ and telling everybody about what's going on. She was interruptible. She didn't say, I'm sorry, I'm too busy, man. Get your own water. She was interruptible. Are you receptive to a divine interruption? I'm going to end with a quick look into Mary. And how she models for us what happens when Christ comes into our life. I call this a divine model See, Mary is a model of how Jesus has changed the life of a follower. So listen to her story. It's in Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and we call the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you. There's the Holy Spirit again, right? Right? The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. Do you memorize that? Memorize it. For no word of God will what? Ever fail. It will never fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. So I think Mary models for us what it's like to be one who receives the miraculous promises of God, specifically receives Jesus Christ. Uh, so this is something uh, I'm just going to share with you. You take it for what you, what you want to take it for, but I think it's insightful. Uh, hopefully this helps you. Think about Mary as a model of what it means to be a born-again follower of Jesus Christ. First of all, Jesus was conceived of Mary. He was birthed inside her. Something changed drastically in her life. The Messiah was now living in her womb. Secondly, he grew in her. She experienced the growth of Christ in her own body, And then thirdly, she came out of the Lord Jesus Christ. She was born, and he affected the whole world. He affected all the world around her, all the world as we know it, right? So here's the application. Think about how she models for us what it means to be a Christ follower. First of all, you are to encounter the Lord Jesus Christ. You have to be born again, amen? You have to, at some point in your life, say, I need you, Jesus. I can't do my life on my own. I am hopelessly lost. I am a sinner. Whatever language you want to use here, I need you, I believe in you, and I receive you. You have to do that. It can't be just something you think about, something you hear about. You have to make that decision. You have to ask Christ to be your Savior. And then you're born again. There's a new birth that happens in you, right? And then you get into this second part where you grow in Jesus like Jesus grew in Mary. He grows in us. We call that, friends, transformation. We just spent... 12 weeks talking about what it means to grow in Jesus Christ and how our minds are to be renewed and how we're supposed to be people who have our thinking changed by the Lord Jesus Christ, which if we have your thinking changed and you become biblical and you're thinking what we're going do, you'll live differently, right? You'll do your life utterly differently. But we're not about behavior modification. That doesn't work. We don't tell you, do this, do this, and do this to be okay with Jesus. No, you do this and this and this because you are okay with Jesus. And he's changing what you think. He's changing what you believe and how you do your life. Amen? Amen. We're not into behavior modification here at all. That's not going to get you what you need to get. You need to have your heart changed because the living Christ is there. And then you become sanctified. That means you become holy and set apart for the good purposes of God And your life. is becoming this praise and this worship to the Lord Jesus Christ, as Romans 12 talks about. We become these vessels of worship because Christ is reigning in us and we're desiring to do the will of of, of the Father. And then we're to give Jesus to others. We're to be great commissioned people. He's to go out from our lives. We're to share Christ with others, like I did with Jim that day. You know, we're, we're to become living epistles, people who love Jesus and who behave differently and interact differently because Jesus is in our heart. It's Mary modeled it. Christ conceived in her, Christ growing in her, Christ coming from her. We're supposed to be born again. Christ is to grow in us, and we're supposed to give him to others. And we don't do this on our own. We do this because the Holy Spirit is in us empowering us to truly be transformed, to be sanctified, and the Holy Spirit's living in us, truly allowing us to be great commissioned people, uh, you know, endued with power from on high. Anyway, I'm gonna quit. So here's a reflection thought for you this morning. Will you respond to God with, I am your servant, do your will in my life like Mary did. Will you just get to that submissive kind of thought process? God, I'll do what you want me to do in my life. I'll just, my plans will be your plans. And lastly, here's the summary, and then we're going to go into a time of communion. God's normal is the miraculous. And we must respond like these major participants in the story of the birth of Jesus Christ. We just have to expect it to be miraculous. Why wouldn't we? That's how God operates, right? He is a miraculous God. He's a wonder-working God. The way he worked in John's life and the way he ministered through Christ's life, the way he worked in Mary's life, it's not something that's supposed to be abnormal. It is normal. So expect the supernatural, right? Expect God to intervene. Expect him to speak to you in dreams. Expect him to speak to you through other people. Expect him to speak to you through the word. Expect the Holy Spirit to fill you and to enlighten you on how to live right, right? Expect those things because we serve a wonder working God.